Um, I just started smoking at the time, so I was outside having a cigarette with some of the other girls. And he came out and walked around the back of the building, and I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay, um, that, there he is. And my friend leaned into me and she was like, he wants you to follow him. He's leading you, he wants you to follow him. And I was like, oh, okay. So I went around the back of the building and he was indeed waiting for me. And that was when he, with no warning, grabbed my hand, put it on his groin so that I could feel and said, this is what, this is what you do to me and kissed me. Um, he could be very forceful. There was one day where I went home. I, I just left the school and went home because I said, told, said everyone that I was feeling sick and I just went home because I couldn't cope with it anymore. I'd started drinking a lot. Um, there were days, there were weeks where I was drunk more than I was sober. And it felt so oppressive and terrifying that one day I just went home and about half an hour after I'd gone home, his camper van pulled up outside my house and he knocked on the door. I let him in and he took me upstairs and it happened again. But kissing me and there was intercourse. But partway through, he said the words, give me your and then a word for your rear end. And he grabbed me by the thighs, pulled me down the bed in the back of the camper van and just forced his way immediately into my back passage, essentially. And for people out there who are watching this who do partake in things around that area will know that you have to ease into things like that. If you don't ease into it, if you don't use the correct kind of liquids i guess um then there is going to be a lot a, a severe amount of pain bleeding and tearing and that's what happened and eventually he looked at me chuckled and said your poor hole hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast uh we have roxy taylor on and as you can see from the trailer there is a slew of stories um, joining me today is Victoria O'Toole, who's been on a couple of other ones, which should be out in the coming future. But back to Roxy. So where did you want to start today? I think we should go back to your childhood, traditionally done. Um, and it started with your abusive mother. Yes. Um, so I, everything was normal probably until I was 18 months old. and then. My mother started telling people that there was something wrong with me um, and she suspected that I was autistic, but she would always phrase this like, you know, there's something wrong with her, um, something's not right with that one, things like that. And progressively over the next few years, it started to get worse um, every single day, I would be told all manner of things that I was a useless b-word that she couldn't believe that she had given birth to something like me that just awful things that I was useless worthless a, a constant just slew of verbal abuse 
And when I was about five, that's the earliest that I remember her starting to hit me. Um, I'd gone bouncing into her room. I was a very excitable child. I had undiagnosed ADHD at the time. And I'd gone bouncing in her room, all excited. And I'm jumping up and down and clapping my hands. And she was straightening her hair and she just swung around and smacked me in the mouth. And I ran out crying. And I remember a little bit later her coming in my room, seeing that my lip had split and going, oh, did I do that? Well, don't tell anyone at school. That was it. And it was horrendous. And this would go on quite often. She would hit me, throw things at me. Um, her favourites were shoes, throwing shoes at me, often heeled shoes. So you had to sort of duck and try and get out of the way of that heel before it went through your eye. Um, it was horrifying and when I was eight I was finally diagnosed as autistic um, and as ADHD and she was very much in the autistic community um, autistic adults often refer to parents like her as martyr parents so she would sort of it was all terrible for her and it was all about how bad it was for her and I have to be the parent of this child and she would very much embody that and it was very hateful she she always seemed to hate me but at the same time there was this nice mum and I remember that I would go and sit in different rooms of the house and I would just cry and I would say over and over I want my mum I want my mum and I couldn't understand why I was saying that because she's in the next room she's right there if you want her go to her but I can't go to her she will hurt me. Um, it was very difficult. When I was about 12 years old, she found out that I had been harming myself. And we were in the car and she turned, looked at me and said, do it properly next time. Oh, my God. And I think that was when I started to really believe and accept that I was not worthy of anything, not love not care, nothing, that I was lower than anything on this planet and that I did not deserve the oxygen that I breathed, which thankfully I'm uh, not quite believing that anymore. But yeah. teen years were very, very difficult. Because you said you, you were diagnosed at eight. How did that impact your school life? So it actually made school a tiniest bit better. I was still a big target for bullying because I was the different kid, but I was targeted whether I had a diagnosis or not. But it did mean that I was able to get other accommodations that I needed. Um, so I was able to have a one-to-one -one who would be with me in all my lessons. I was able to get various things written into my IEP um that side of it like getting the diagnosis definitely was a step forward for that um but it definitely also validated my mother's belief that there was something wrong with me that I was not normal did the school pick up on your autism uh, or ADHD or was it your mum that referred you through the doctor um so a few teachers had noticed, had raised the same questions, and they'd been trying to get me pushed through to get a diagnosis. 
<clears throat> but cams were absolutely useless. Um, not surprising. <laughs> and most people who have been under cams will know they are just terrible. They're, they're um, the the aren't they, for, for children? Yeah. 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 Um, in the end, uh, my mother actually went private and got a private diagnosis, which I was very privileged to be able to get. Um, and obviously, I do appreciate that, um, that I had that privilege to be able to get that. And you do have some shocking stories of your mum's behaviour coming up. But did you, uh, sorry, did you have siblings? Uh, an older sister, yeah. She was eight years older than me. Um, so by the time I was sort of heading, well, by the time I was 10, she'd headed off to university. And we actually had, me and my mother had one of our first holidays together when I was somewhere between 11 and 13 at the absolute most, based on what Lemony Snicket book I was reading at the time that had just been released. Um, and there was a night there where usually I had my sister to protect me. So my mother would get extremely drunk on these holidays at any sort of event or gathering. She would get extremely drunk. It would lead to sort of violence, swearing. One year she stood in the kitchen crying and saying, I'm stuck with that whilst pointing at me. This is when I was like eight. <laughs> Um, and my family would all just cover up for her and be like, oh, it's OK. She's just drunk. She just says these things when she's drunk. And it's like, it's not OK to me. But on this holiday, I was alone with her and she once again got drunk. Um, she took us out to a bar at like like literally midnight. We were in a bar and I'm like 11 years old in a bar in Spain and I'm pretty terrified and a woman came over and started buying drinks for her which was kind of odd and my mother kept accepting them and she only had two or three and she just suddenly went she'd basically been spiked and as we left the bar this woman starts following us out and following us down the back streets and I've got my mother on one arm and she's leaning over and going I'm going to be sick and all this and I'm like trying to drag her away because this person is following us in the end I managed to find one of those people that stand outside the bars and they're like come on in come and have a drink and I told her this woman is following us and my mother's really drunk and I don't know what to do and she distracted the woman whilst I led my mother off I then had to spend like 45 minutes to an hour trying to find our hotel at like one two o'clock in the morning I did not know where to go found the hotel she went in the bathroom to throw up and just passed out she was unconscious I could see that she was breathing and I was like I need to call for help I don't know what to do but I didn't know what number to call so I just sat on the bed looking into the bathroom and just watched her breathing until eventually I just passed out from exhaustion and I mean I can't imagine you know, 11 years old, having to go through something like that and looking after your, you, you know, your parent on a holiday, like in a foreign country in Spain with someone spiking her drink. Um, obviously, you can probably imagine what the intentions were there. It's absolutely disgusting. And was that a regular yeah. recurring theme? Um, her getting drunk like that, yeah, it was. Um, there was one holiday where I did go with my sister and she threw up all over the bed. 
all over the floor. And then the next morning she took my teddy bear, who's it's actually right here. <laughs> she took this little guy and she put him on her vomit-soaked bed, called reception and said, my daughter's been poorly in the night and would not let me retrieve my Peter Rabbit until Did she she'd never... covered up for herself. Did she never feel any guilt or, um, you know, apologise to you the next day? No. By the next morning, everything was fine. And she never seemed to have a hangover the next morning. Um, so we would be absolutely exhausted. People have been cleaning up her vomit all night. People have been trying to put her back to bed, trying to stop her having fights. We're all absolute, me and my sister would be absolutely exhausted. And she'd wake up the next morning like, right, shall we go to the pool? Nothing happened. No, yeah. Would she, would she drink every day or would it just be sort of binge drinking? Oh, she uh, would drink every day and as far as I know still does um, have at least a pint or two a day, um, usually in the evening. But on holidays, it would literally start just after breakfast. She would start yeah. drinking and it would just go on and on. I've got to ask what, what she did for work. Uh, she was a hairdresser at the time. I was just thinking, holding down a job while being a full-time alcoholic. Self-employed, yeah. so, yeah. It can be done. Yeah, <laughs> Apparently, yeah. Most of, the, most of the big events, the binge drinking, were saved for sort of events, like family events, parties, holidays. So in normal day-to-day -day life, it would be just a steady few, like a couple cans of beer, a couple bottles of beer, depending on what she was drinking at the time. Um, but it was as soon as you knew holidays coming up, it was, mm. oh, no, <laughs> like you just, mm, there was just a dread in the pit of your stomach. And I ended up like completely emetophobic afterwards. Like if someone vomits now, I'm just mm. panic stations. Like I can't do it. <laughs> I've got a ridiculously weak stomach too. So were there many men coming into his her life? I mean, where was your father? Uh, my dad wasn't around. He'd assorted her whilst she was pregnant with me. Um, so he wasn't actually really allowed to be anywhere around me. He'd been allowed some visitation rights. So he was allowed supervised visits, but he either wouldn't show up or bearing in mind, I'm like one. He would show up and be like, well, she's not playing with me. <laughs> so he was never really around and there weren't really any boyfriends i remember one boyfriend and then one guy that she brought home in the middle of the night like i remember just waking up i think i was about eight again my sister was out at a party that night and i just woke up and there's just some strange man in the house and there i can hear the noises coming from the other room and it's like who the hell is this person um never saw him again <laughs> Did your sister not ever sort of have more of a conflict with her because she was a bit older? Did she not challenge your mum in any way with her behaviour? They did used to argue. They would have fights. My sister would literally just leave. Um, I remember one where, I don't know, I don't even know what led up to it, but I remember my sister sweeping the floor in the kitchen and my mother was standing in front of her and I remember my sister just throwing the brush to one side and trying to storm out and my mother trying to force her back in the room. Lots of screaming and shouting and swearing ensuing and then my sister getting out of the house and she went and stayed with my grandparents for a few days after that. 
So was the, you obviously Victoria mentioned your sister getting involved. Was there any other people who intervened? No, um, my auntie. I I know that she knew what was going on because I was in her bathroom one time, and I'd annoyed her, and she raised her voice and just shouted, "No, stop!" at me because I was messing with some stuff, and she never really raised her voice. So like I knew then that like oh I'm in trouble, but my instinctive reaction was to just cover my head because my mother would always go for the head so you just cover the head curl up small and you'll be fine she she can't hit your delicate parts if you've covered them and my auntie was like I'm not I'm not gonna hit you and I could see in her eyes and I remember this I, I saw in her eyes right then you know you know and nowadays she uh does not remember that happening oh convenient that yeah so yeah, we're just going to put a disclaimer out there that anyone watching, we're going to go into detail of Extreme SA now. So if it's not not something you can handle, please find something out to watch. Thank you. So yeah, you then the teacher comes into your life. Yeah. So when I was seventeen, um, I was doing BTEC Performing Arts and. This girl came up to us. There was a group of us in BTEC and then some friends of friends on the outside. And this girl was a friend of a friend. And she came up and she said, that teacher, um, did you know that if you flirt with him, he flirts back? And for teenage girls, this was like the best thing since sliced bread. We were absolutely cackling. Like, I'm pretty sure we had tears running down our faces. We were like, he does what? Like, this was hilarious. Like the best thing ever so we were all like right let's all flirt with him and like see who he flirts back with the most like this is gonna be amazing so in our infinite 17 year old wisdom we'd wave at him and giggle like like that was that was that was the best we could muster at 17 but he picked up on it very quickly and um he started to pay more attention to me he wasn't really paying attention to any of the other girls and one day he pulled me into a classroom and you might have to mute a word here um just say it anyway um so he pulled me into a classroom and he said to me we can't be and I was very confused because I had never mentioned anything of that kind of nature. I just waved at this guy a few times and smiled at him and giggled. And he was suggesting that we couldn't be having that kind of a relationship, which seemed odd. And I just said, okay, and ran out of the room. And I later found out that this is a technique that criminals use. Um, they try to do something that could be passed off as innocent by adults around them. So a hand on the leg or a comment that is a little bit shady, but mm. so if I'd gone to a teacher and said, he just said that we can't be doing this. He'd have said, yes, I did because we can't. And her behavior is like, he would have had a cover for it. But the fact that I didn't meant that he could push further and he knew that. Mm. Yeah. And um, it sounds like a classic tactic that predators use. So he also flirted with your friends you mentioned. It was quite common knowledge yeah. that he was a flirt. Yeah, it was. Uh, apparently, it was common that he would flirt with the other girls, but he never took it any further than that. Um, but in my case, he'd looked at my 
school records and he'd found out that I was diagnosed autistic and he took this as vulnerable person and he started telling me that he was also autistic he knew just what it was like to be an autistic child growing up and I finally felt seen for the first time ever I felt seen by somebody I was facing abuse at home I never really fitted in and I finally felt like someone saw me and it was a lie he had never been diagnosed autistic and had never mentioned it to anybody else at all he wasn't even like he wasn't even self-diagnosed he just was not autistic and it just told a blatant lie to suck how me did, in how did he get so much one-on-one -on -one time with you um was it not kind of a red flag he would we had sort of free periods and things like that and he would find me in different classrooms or he would find me in the hall or if there was band practice after school which sometimes um, I was learning the saxophone at the time, so sometimes I would go and watch the band practice to see if that was something I wanted to join. Um, and he would find time around there too. And eventually, within a couple of weeks, he actually gave me his phone number and he would arrange to meet me at the school. Um, I think you might have mentioned his age. He was around his early 30s, wasn't he? 35. 35. 35 and you're a 17 year old girl 16 yeah -year -old and girl. he had a wife and he had a wife convenient yeah how long did it take for him to step up his game was it quite quick or was it, it was a long, a long uh, session surprisingly quick very quick um we went to a band a performance by the school band which was at a village hall and i can't even remember where it was but Partway through, they had an intermission and everyone was outside. Some people were smoking. Um, I just started smoking at the time. So I was outside having a cigarette with some of the other girls. And he came out and walked around the back of the building. And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, OK, um, that, there he is. And my friend leaned into me. And she was like, he wants you to follow him. He's leading you. He wants you to follow him. And I was like, oh, OK. So I went around the back of the building and he was indeed waiting for me. And that was when he, with no warning, grabbed my hand, put it on his groin so that I could feel and said, this is what this is what you do to me and kissed me. And then he just walked off. Not a word after that. He just walked off. He picked a spot where there was no CCTV and he just walks off and that had she had any experience before or was this your sort of first encounter only like a little bit of like touching with a boyfriend that I'd had for like seven months or something I'd been with this guy so it was like I'd gone from a relationship where like things were sort of progressing how you would expect a relationship to progress to this yeah. very adult scenario that I was not equipped for at 17. I was not ready for any of that. Well, before we go into more detail, I'm more shocked. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen in my face then. <laughs> Sorry, not, not the table then. Is he has no shame. He said in front of your friend, why don't you follow me? He wasn't being discreet in that sense. No, no, he just walked form. past. No, he just walked past, looked at me and just walked behind the building. He didn't say anything. 
he just walked past and it was my friend who said he wants you to follow him but it was very blatant it was so blatant that other teenagers could see that he was hinting at me to follow him the only reason I didn't pick up on it was because well, probably because I'm autistic. Maybe the toilets are terrible inside and you're going for a whiz. I don't I don't know. Like <laughs> Christ. And they is and that being your first experience with, with a boy well, a man at that point mm. in your life, it's it's shocking. So then how did things move on from there? Uh, after that, things moved very quickly one night he messaged me and he wanted me to meet him in the school boiler room which is about as romantic as you would imagine um it's like a little attic space above the performance stage in the hall and it's like just filled with boilers and it's really dirty um he I met him up there and he was sweet talking me telling me how beautiful I was you know all, all these things like just gently touching me and it it felt so romantic I I don't know how it felt romantic in that setting but it felt so romantic and then he pulled from behind one of the boilers um, that he had stashed there Oh no! he'd had it planned for a little while and that was the night that I lost my virginity (sighs) on a dirty floor and one of my biggest regrets. It's not it's, your fault, though. It's really right. not. You can't, yeah. can't ever say that's one of your biggest regrets, honestly. It's, he completely yeah. violated you and the, using his power to entice yeah. a vulnerable girl is disgusting. What's happened, to, what's happened to him? Nothing. Um so eventually, after everything else that happened, he was um, arrested, he was questioned, but they wanted me to do a video interview within 24 hours of him being arrested. Well, we'll get and, to that for, um, yeah. for jumping ahead. But So after that night in the boiler room, how were things with him moving forward? Scary. Um, he could be very forceful. There was one day where I went home I, I just left the school and went home because I said, told, said that I was feeling sick and I just went home because I couldn't cope with it anymore. I'd started drinking a lot. Um, there were days, there, there were weeks where I was drunk more than I was sober. And it felt so oppressive and terrifying that one day I just went home. And about half an hour after I'd gone home, his camper van pulled up outside my house. And he knocked on the door. I let him in and he took me upstairs and it happened again. But in this instance, he, it was, I'm not sure, it wasn't the first time that he'd done this, but he did things to me by force. And I bit him on the chest here as he was doing it, bit right into the flesh bit as hard as I could and he screamed picked me up and just threw me against a wall and he's screaming and crying calling me a stupid b-word um someone's gonna see this and I hoped someone would I was hoping his wife would see that bite mark but unfortunately she never did and 
at some point, either before or after this, he asked me to meet him at the park nearby. I got into his van and he drove me to an industrial estate. And I still remember as we pulled up in that car park, there was a fox in the headlights of his van, right in front of the van, this beautiful fox, this fur that in the headlights looked like this fox was on fire. Absolutely stunning. And this fox looked me dead in the eyes. And it was, to this day, one of the most special moments with an animal that I've ever experienced. This animal was just looking right into my soul and I was going, look, look, there's a fox. I'd never seen one before. There's a fox. And he was like, yeah, whatever. And just pulled me in the back. And it was just a real, like, yeah, back to reality. Um, He started kissing me and there was intercourse. But partway through, he said the words, give me your, and then a word for your rear end. And he grabbed me by the thighs, pulled me down the bed in the back of the camper van and just forced his way immediately into my back passage essentially and for people out there who are watching this who do partake in things around that area will know that you have to ease into things like that if you don't ease into it if you don't use the correct kind of liquids I guess um, then there is going to be a lot a, a severe amount of pain bleeding and tearing and that's what happened and eventually he looked at me chuckled and said your poor hole oh i'm so sorry he then then smiled and said my wife never lets me do that to her Wow. wow i'm surprised she had the choice oh it's sickening absolutely sickening i'm so sorry and um, what, what did you do after that incident? Were you kind of in shock? I went home mm. and I went to the toilet and I saw the blood. Yeah. And I cried a little bit. And then I started telling myself that it's okay because I liked it really. So, yeah, it was, I mean, you can't expect things to be nice on your first time. So, you know, like I probably liked it or it wouldn't have happened and you know I, I i i guess it's not it's always gonna hurt the first time isn't it and i just made excuses as to why it was okay it's okay because he loves me it's okay because his wife doesn't let him so you know like that's why he likes me and all these things that did you feel like was, you had feelings for him or was it kind I, of like you, felt you had to be with him now I, for the first half of our relationship, I thought that I loved him. I really thought that I loved him until later on in my life when I actually experienced love. Yeah. Yeah. And that was when I looked back and was like, that was never love. No. You wouldn't understand it at the time on it. You know, you've been first partner Mm. um, who you've experienced these things with and He's an older man, so he's he's coming with experience and you he's, want to seem mature, which is what a lot of young girls do. They want to be with older guys. Um, so you go is. along with it and you you think this is this is a healthy relationship. 
and a lot yeah. of women not go through the same thing but they yeah. go with guys thinking that it's a mature relationship and it, it isn't really um so yeah I mean I really feel for you um, yeah and yeah. bringing it on par with your level of saying oh I've got ADHD I'm you know you can trust me and bringing you into that trust bubble to then go do something like that it's, it's absolutely devastating yeah. so we'll, we'll get to you, you know you moved on from that night Thank you for watching the podcast. Here's a word from our sponsor, Rocket Money. Don't you hate it when you've got subscriptions out there that you don't know about, taking all that cash out of your account? I recently found out I had four Amazon Prime subscriptions, now I've got it down to one. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Most people think they're spending $80 on their subscriptions, when in reality the number is closer to $200. When you're signed up for so many things like streaming services you used to watch one show or free trials for delivery you don't use, it's so easy to lose track of what you're paying for. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com forward slash Sean, S-H-A-U-N, that's rocketmoney.com, S-H-A-U-N, rocketmoney.com slash Sean. Thanks for supporting our sponsor. Link is in the description box on YouTube. Back to the podcast. Um, and where do you go from there? After that, I upped my drinking. Um, I would. I don't even remember how I got half of the alcohol that I got. I was 17. I I would put it in water bottles, like if I could get clear alcohol like vodka, I would put it in water bottles and take it to school. Mm. I would do my best to just stay not completely trashed, but like drunk enough that I, I, I wasn't thinking straight. I couldn't comprehend everything around me. It was nice in a way to not have to think and if you had to deal with your stomach on fire and throwing up by the end of the day eh, it was a small price to pay at the time but things were just not right and I tried to leave him I said that it was over and there was a week or two where everything was going great I got rid of him and another boy actually my age um, had asked me out and we went out for like just a glass of Coke and stuff like that. And everything seemed to be going great. But as soon as he knew that I was, you know, trying to be with someone my own age and have a normal relationship that was not focused on that kind of stuff, he became very possessive. He would message me. He would set up Facebook accounts under the name Doris Day and message me on there and it felt like there was no getting away from it so in the end I just went back to him and I didn't know what to do so eventually I told my mother and I said to her this is what's happened and she said right well don't let it happen again So I just sort of didn't speak to her after that about it. And eventually she went through my Facebook and saw that I was still getting messages from him. And she told me that I was a slag, that I was 
you know, disgusting. And she was just absolutely enraged with me for allowing this to continue. And eventually she said that she was going to go to the school and she was going to tell them. And she set up a meeting. At this point, I was in a lot of trouble at school because I hadn't been showing up to my classes. Um, Some of them I'd been, instead of being in lessons, I'd been with him. So I was getting in a lot of trouble and she set up a meeting to go and talk to them. And on the day of the meeting, he got her phone number from the school files and he called her in the morning begging her, please, please don't tell them anything. You know, I won't talk to your daughter ever again all of this and at this point I still had this but at least he loves me right like he's doing all this because he loves me but as soon as I heard you know I won't speak to her again you know I was like wait you you don't even love me what at this point he'd already told me that if anyone ever found out he would have to end his life and it would be my fault so I'm really cut up I go to school I don't know what I'm going to do and at the end of a lesson because he was a music tech teacher at the end of a music lesson he locked the door when all the other students had gone and he wouldn't let me leave and he was telling me that I needed to ring my mother and tell her that we needed to drop the whole thing and forget about it I needed to find a way to stop her telling them and I don't remember what I said to him I cannot for the life of me remember if I told him that I would or if I told him that I wouldn't But at some point he unlocked the door and let me out and I ran straight out of the school, took out my phone, rang my mum and said, tell them, tell them. And not long after the police arrived and arrested him. But she, even, even this, even this, she was in the meeting and she let everyone come in and she waited and she loves telling the story. And she sat there and apparently the deputy head had said, right, we need to talk about the fact that Finley hasn't been attending her lessons. And the she sat there and she said, yes, we do. Because she has been missing lessons for a reason. She's been shagging one of your teachers. Like, that's literally how she tells the story. Like, and it's like, why? She why are you so proud? Yeah, yeah. She, she's just getting off on the drama of it. And it's like, thanks. So the police showed up. They questioned me. They wanted to know when it had started, how often it had happened. And they also wanted to know if he had done anything to me that was by force. And I said no. I said no, because I had already, like, he'd already said that he was going to end his life if anyone found out. If anyone found out that he'd done it by force, yeah, he would definitely end his life. And then that would be my fault. So I didn't say a word. I couldn't do the video interview. My stomach was churning at the thought of doing this video interview, but they needed it within 24 hours. So after 24 hours, they let him go and he was placed on some sort of registry. um, But I can't remember which one or what degree he was placed under. Yeah, SO registry. Yeah, um, something like that. But I'm not sure what degree. I, I was told that he would never be allowed to work in a school again or with children again. Um, but he has found his own little way around that. 
rather than children, he's made sure that he's got a job where he works around vulnerable, disabled adults. And legally, there is nothing that you can do about that. He still has access to the very type of people that he has previously targeted, just slightly older. And, and this you, is what he's doing to this day? Yes. Do you think maybe you could go back to the police and tell them the genuine version of events? Because at the time, obviously, you, you felt guilt, which you shouldn't have, but he deserves now to be punished for his actions. Unfortunately, I already did. So okay. about six months after he was arrested, I was at a Pride event in Leicester and he showed up with his wife and they had their arms around each other and they were giggling away to each other and I was very very drunk I could barely walk and I could see the two of them just hugging and laughing like their lives had not even been affected by any of this their lives just went on as they had before no consequences no issues and I lost, I lost my mind, to be honest. Um, everything went black. And the next thing I know, I'm latched onto him by my teeth, biting his arm. And when I let go, I was screaming, you took everything from me. You took my virginity. You took my virginity. I was screaming it over and over. And security came over separated us he said that he didn't want the police called he didn't want to press charges nothing like that and he left um but two days later there was a knock on the door and it was a police officer who said that i was under arrest for assault and i was taken down to the police station questioned and um released pending a court hearing when i got to the court hearing the judge was like he would not have it. He read everything involved in the case, what this guy had done, not knowing at that point that it had been by force. As far as I'm concerned, it, like, it is by force because of the nature of who you are compared to who I was, but not knowing that it had been our word. And he said, can someone give me a good explanation as to why this case is here at all? If I don't get a good explanation, which I don't think I will, that's it, done. And that was it. He dropped the whole thing. And my solicitor took me into a private room away from my mother and said to me, is there something you need to tell us? And it was two of them there, both a man and a woman. And they were both just looking at me like, we know there's more to this. And it just came out. It just came out. And it was the first time that I'd said it out loud. And it was like something had been pulled out of me. It was like there was a moment of peace. And they said that this would all be passed straight over to the police and that they would sort it out. You need to go and tell your mother now what is happening. And I walked out and I said to my mother, I've just told them what I've never told anyone. And that is that he worded me and she looked me dead in the eyes and said are you sure you sure it's not just something you saw on tv so yeah so after that um i had to tell the rest of my family when i told my sister she laughed um i mean it could have been nervous laughter but like still 
not not great um and the whole investigation it, it took at least six months um i had to have like exams done swabs things like that they had to look inside me which was horrendous i had to do the video interview and then eventually they came back and told me that he had, had admitted that those events had taken place but that i had consented to them and as such it was my word against his and the case would not go any further and that it was being dropped and after that i kind of felt like there was nothing for me um by that point I must have been 18 by that point and after being disgusted in my own behavior when I was drunk I had stopped drinking um I found out that if I drink too much I become like my mother I become very violent very aggressive very nasty I I'm not me anymore I'm an animal when I drink so I stopped drinking. I apologized to anyone that I had done wrong to and quit drinking. And I'd been doing a public service course for a little while, but then I found out that if you attack files, the police don't want you um, in their force, um, which to be honest, I really disagree with. I think we need more of that in our plan. <laughs> But no, they, uh, the police would not have me with that record and I didn't really have anything else to do. I tried working in Marks and Spencers. The anxiety was just too much. I would be physically ill and I just didn't know what to do. I was with a guy who then told me that he was touching me in my sleep. And when I told my mother this, because I was horrified, she said that it was normal and that's just what guys do. So, and... sorry, can I uh, stop you there? It's, he told you he was touching you in sleep. How did that conversation come about? He just blurted it out one day. We were just sat on a sofa and he said, um, oh, do you, ever, do you ever get dreams, you know, things like that, like sexy dreams and stuff when you're staying over? And I was like, no, not really. Um, nightmares but no uh, and he was like oh I just wondered because I've been um you know touching you a bit when you're asleep oh, and I was I'm like sorry. excuse me can you say that again like what and I went straight to my mother like I said I, I told her and she just said that it was normal and this guy was very he could become very aggressive he would drive me home and if he got angry he would lock the car doors and drive really fast swerve around and start punching the steering wheel and it was legitimately terrifying and one day he tried to drift around a roundabout whilst i was in the car swung round and crashed into a bus stop um all of it was just it was a horrifically toxic relationship and eventually one day he ended it with me. He said that he didn't want to be with someone like me anymore because if we ever decided to have kids, they'd probably be autistic like I am and that he couldn't bring a kid in the world like that. And my heart was quite literally broken. I was, I, I, once again, I thought 
but without you I've got nothing I've just got my mother and we all know what she's like like I've got nothing and a few weeks later I actually got um accepted into an acting agency and all of a sudden he was messaging me saying do you want to meet up and stuff like that now I think me breaking up with you really put a rocket up your ass to make you go out there and do something with your life and I was like (laughs) no no let's not was he the same age as you or was he older yeah this one was the same age as me um and I did not go back to him at that point and I just sort of floated around for six months afterwards didn't know what to do with myself and then I downloaded tinder and I was like oh well maybe I'll just have a hot girl summer then do you know what everyone keeps taking everything from me so let's just go out there and just lay it about town and have some fun and I had one date and then I married the guy (laughs) 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 did not get my hot girl summer (laughs) oh Brilliant. So, <laughs> sweet, sweet love story. So it's it's quite refreshing to hear that you, you know, after all those toxic relationships actually went on to marry someone. Yeah. It gives women hope out there that they don't have to put up with um, yeah. abuse. Um, you broke the, the cycle. The best thing I did was not go for a guy that I would normally go for. I mean, he'd put in his bio archaeologist author wrote and it was like he actually had written a book um like a self-published book um he did work as an archaeologist um and i'm not so sure about rogue um he slept <laughs> under a bridge once so i guess um, <laughs> he couldn't get a hotel for the night in i think it was cyprus or something so he legitimately slept under a bridge for the night i was like you do you um, <laughs> But I met him and he was not the kind of guy I'd normally go for. He was the same height as me. He will argue that he's a little bit taller than me. He is the same height as me. When he watches this back, you're the same height as me. I might be taller. He doesn't like his hair up a little bit, you know, style it up. So he's got it. Everybody's taller. Everybody's taller than me, so height doesn't bother me at all. Usually, I'd go for these tall, mysterious, dark guys, like you know, dark hair and all this. And he's got this sort of sandy hair that was already thinning out. Despite I think we were like early twenties, and his hair was already starting to thin out. He's the same height as me, and it was like I don't know. There was just something about him that was like. I'm going to have to give you a chance. Um, and I think I fell head over heels that first night. Like, I just absolutely fell for this guy. And quite quickly, he... Actually, quite quickly, he went off to the Philippines for like a... It was supposed to be a six-week holiday. And this was like three weeks after we'd met. And he was like, well, I'm going off to university in Wales afterwards. But whilst I'm there, I need to put my stuff somewhere can you take my stuff for me? It's like just two bags of stuff. That's all I've got. But it was that sort of, I know he's coming back. Like he's doing this. He could store it anywhere, but he's doing this so that I know he's coming back. Um, He could have sent it back to his mother's, but he made sure that I was looking after it. And we pretty much decided within two months, I was moving with him to Wales. And my family was like, no, you're not. You'll never, you'll never do it. You'll never commit to that. I was like, yes, I will. And 
wanted to get away from months. the pub anyway. So yeah, I just wanted to get away, and within six months, I was living with him, and it was absolutely fantastic. And we stayed um, in Wales for two years, and then we moved back to Leicester briefly because he was he had a job lined up in Bath but it wasn't going to be happening just yet so we had to go back there he was doing some archaeology in Leicester and we were staying at my mother's and whilst we were staying there she honestly just one of her finest moments um back when I was 18 not long after the teacher situation a family friend the boyfriend of um my mother's best friend at the time had essayed me he had come up behind me in a hallway of our house and he had put his hands on my chest underneath my top underneath all of my clothes and I had told her about it but that I didn't want to press charges because I didn't trust the police anymore I just wanted to forget about it and when we'd moved back to Leicester we were waiting outside the co-op we were I, I was waiting outside with the dog my husband had gone in to buy some food and this guy showed up now this guy is in at least his 70s he is not a young man um definitely had no no business touching an 18 year old in any way shape or form and he saw me he tried to say hi to me and i ignored him none of my family had spoken to him since what he had done and he looked to me and he was like you effing b and i panicked i had my i scooped my dog in my arms i ran inside i ran up to my husband and said the, the guy that i've told you about he's outside and he's just he's just called me an effing b um he's shouting at me outside he ran straight outside there was a physical altercation between the two of them he never intended for that to happen but when he looked in this man's eyes this man looked back at him and said i only ever had her best interests at heart which was just you know you know what i've told him and you know that i've told him that and when we got home back to the house we said there's been an incident with um his name outside um the co-op he'd started harassing me he'd been swearing at me he'd been very aggressive um an altercation ensued and she said why didn't you just say hi to him and be nice and my husband turned around looked her dead in the eyes and this is still the most beautiful thing that i have ever heard that man say he looked her dead in the eyes and went you call yourself a mother like I think from that moment I was like I'm marrying this man like I am never gonna let him go nobody has ever stood up for me against her she is terrifying and not a trace of fear in his eyes just disgust and we packed our bags that night literally straight after we packed our bags scooped the dog up in our arms went outside just yeah. us and Walt went outside on the street and then just sat down and went we're homeless we're homeless <laughs> what do we do luckily my auntie took us in and we got a flat within a week and never went back what do you think <laughs> is wrong with your mum and what's kind of her if you could psychoanalyze her what would you say is wrong with her 
I have no idea. I don't know if she's had trauma in her past. I don't know if she's... I don't... No, I, I know what it is. Um, she doesn't love anyone. Um, I don't know if she's capable of love. I remember her sitting and listening to the um, song um, The Greatest Love of All by Whitney Houston. And she seemed to kind of try and cosplay as a person who understood the song. And she would say, nah, this song, this song, that I know exactly what she's talking about, about that greatest love, because um, that was me. When I had my kids, I knew that I'd found the greatest love. And I was like, that's not what that song's about. It's about learning to love yourself. Mm. And I, I think a long time ago, I realised you don't love yourself. You don't love who you are. You don't love what you do. You don't love the things that you've done, but you don't know how to deal with those things. So instead you try and project that onto everybody else, control everybody else. It's never going to work. Do you feel like there was a sort of competition or jealousy on her part towards you as well? I, I think there was, yeah. She she could be vile back when I was a teenager. She um, used to tell me when I was, I think by the time I was 14, she was making jokes about how she would sell me to rich men so she could have a holiday, yeah. as in sell my virginity online to rich yeah. men so she could have a holiday. And it was, yeah. she would then also, she would be over the top about my body, about it being curvy, about how beautiful I was and all of this but then at the same time she would tell me that when she had seen me without my top on that my the cherries on my chest were too big essentially um the the the, the knots yeah. um, were too big um that I would get fat if I ate too much food that if I didn't stop doing this I would get wrinkly if I didn't put this on I would be saggy like she was simultaneously obsessed with pointing out where I was attractive, but also pointing out that I wasn't attractive enough. And it was just very odd. And did very I give you a complex, would you say, or an eating disorder? Definitely. Um, not, long, not long after I'd moved out, when I finally had all the control over everything, I started to starve myself. And if starving myself didn't work if I would accidentally eat something I would bring it up and out of my body by any means necessary I was on just the most awful internet forums um I won't name them here but people who have been on them will know exactly which ones I'm talking about which are the forums that give you tips and advice on how to do those things and give you motivation to continue and you can do body checks on there and it's the most awful things out there and I was just determined to be as small as possible to just get rid of as much as possible and she didn't really care this is the second child that she's had with an eating disorder and she hasn't she she just didn't care the second time around she was like yeah because yeah. an anorexia and bulimia is a sort of form of control so do you feel like she still had control over your life even though you wasn't around her anymore 
I only got financial control of my own money um, two years ago, um, something like two or three years ago. So just wait for that tractor to go by. Um, I had been moved out of the house a good long while, and I believe it might be—I believe it was even after I got married, which was in 2020, that I actually got full control. Um, she is no longer on my bank accounts. Before then, she had full access to my bank accounts. Um, she had a lot of control over me for a very long time, and I found that the only way to get rid of her control was to get rid of her out of my life and not have her around anymore and her toxic behavior yeah, yeah. and the, the, we've got a story coming up about her behavior on your wedding day as well yeah beautiful yeah um so obviously eventually me and my husband well eventually we got engaged we nearly died in the process of doing so we went to uh henred waterfall i think that's how you say it it's where the uh the entrance to the bat cave was filmed in one of the batman movies and we took a wrong turning because we thought that the way down to the waterfall was down this little woodland path which it was not that was that was the way to certain doom and we slipped down this long bank and honestly like right on the edge he grabbed hold of my body he had the dog in one arm because he'd gone sliding down this hill crashed into a tree grabbed hold of the dog i come down after them grabs hold of me took us 25 30 minutes to crawl our way thank you pie took us 25 30 minutes to crawl our way back up this hill that we'd fallen down um and got to the top and we just like collapsed on the floor and he just pulls out this wooden handmade ring and just chucks it at me didn't say a word just chucked it at me and i was like is this what i think it is tears ensued and eventually we finally got our wedding day but it did not go to plan um my mother had been very passive aggressive in the days leading up to it as she was doing my final dress fitting she'd looked at me laughed and gone well you're far from anorexic now aren't you oh then on the morning of the wedding, we had to. We, we didn't know whether we had to wear face masks inside, so I just had a white one that I had over my face, which I was struggling with a little bit because I always struggled with masks. The sensory aspect was a lot having a mask on my face, um, so I was already struggling with that. Big day ahead of me, and she turns to me, laughs, and goes, you look like a monkey in that. And I was like, I've actually got, got a little bit of this off a live stream where I, like, I, I'm I, I'm saying to her, my sister cut the live stream because I'm saying to her, stop, just stop. And she's like laughing. And eventually my sister went, stop it. Um, and tried to get her to leave me alone, essentially. And not long after that, she started to drink heavily. Um, and I didn't actually know that she was drinking that much at all. She kept, I had like one of those sort of fluffy velvet white capes um to drape around myself and she kept taking it and wearing it around it's a bridal cape bridal so I, at this point i wanted to hit her so i did i did ask can you take that off um and stop wearing it i've 
there is literally a coat available for you um because she was just trying to center herself and I, I did not want it not on that day and she slinked off for a little bit we were in one section of the venue where we were getting married um having photos taken and then someone comes and gets me and says oh um you need to go now I can't for the life remember who it was you need to go to where the reception's being held which was like just a two like one minute walk for a corridor um you need to go there now your mother's kicking off went through and she is screaming and swearing and picking up bags of sweets and just throwing them at the staff and it turned out that they'd left a sweet table out in the rain it was the first reception they'd done it was not a big deal at all we had like those little personalized paper packets to put sweets in and we'd had a few like set out ready so people could take them but we also had plastic tubs that were like filled with the sweets so none of the bulk of the sweets were damaged really um most of the paper packets were absolutely fine um it really wasn't a big deal but she is kicking off screaming swearing we were taken to one side and they said if she continues with this behavior she's going to have to leave they kind of wanted to kick her out like immediately when she started because obviously she was abusive to staff members but the problem they had was that it was an active visitor attraction so we're having our wedding reception in like a little square, but members of the public are all over the place just outside. So if she'd kicked off further, it would have made it very awkward with members of the public coming into contact with her. So they were trying to avoid it as long as they could until there was at least a quiet spot or the venue, like the public part of the site was closed for the day. Uh, she ended up having to have a babysitter because she kept walking around and saying, I'm going to batter that. And then inserting the name of one worker who she had a big problem with. Like she just singled out one in particular, but she was kicking off at all of them. And the worst part was that this was my husband's place of work at the time. And those were his colleagues. <laughs> and his boss was in the building that day. And we could not afford for him to lose that job for anything to go wrong and eventually just she kept inserting herself when we were we were given some gifts by his colleagues that they wanted us to see there and then they wanted to see us open them but she pulled up an extra chair so me and him are sitting there being presented with these gifts and she sat right next to us also accepting them as if they're hers like buzz off and she started to get more and more toxic right at the end when everyone was leaving she lent into my cousin whose mother my mother's sister is blind and said the only reason your mother's the favorite is because she's disabled which i i cannot express enough how incredible this cousin what cousin was that she just said i'm not hearing this you're drunk stop it and walked away that was it i'm not hearing this and just walked away she was not interested in hearing this but she did let me know later on what she had said um and she started laying in after thankfully everyone had gone she started laying in on this cousin's parents on how they hadn't shown up on this and that um how they hadn't responded to the invite that i'd sent out which they hadn't but like I said to my cousin, this is not the time or place to be discussing that. I'm cool with it. I really am not fussed. Like, 
Um, I'm pretty sure they probably verbally said to me at some point that they weren't coming. I, I don't know, but no, they didn't officially respond, but I'm really not fussed and don't really want to discuss it on my wedding day. Like, I'm really not bothered. Um, but she's kicking off. She keeps going. And at one point, she's saying more nasty stuff. And I and my sister shouted, stop it. Just stop it now because we're all sick of your behavior today. And she looked at me as if for confirmation. I was stood right in front of her and I said, yes, we're sick of it. We don't want to hear it. And she went, right fine bearing in mind she is so drunk that this woman can barely walk she grabbed her car keys and she attempted to drive away um well she was going to go and drive away she grabbed her car keys and started to head to the car park and i reached over and i grabbed her hand and i started to try and get those keys out of her hand because there was no way that i was going to let her drive to be honest i couldn't care less what had happened to her that night because do you know what you have driven drunk in your car with your own children. I've been in that car whilst you're drunk at the age of three. Like, I really don't care what you do to yourself. But that's a winding country lane that dog walkers use, and I'm not going to let you hurt someone or their dog. So I was trying to take these keys from her. She's hitting me all up my arms. Um, and I hit her in the face. <laughs> and it might have been the most glorious slap that I've ever felt on my hand in my entire life. Like I don't regret it. Um, to get her off me, to get the keys, I just smacked her in the face, but um, it did not work. It did not subdue her. She then started punching me in the head repeatedly until eventually I was knocked to the floor, scraped up my arm, um, mud all up my dress, I had like a headdress that was in my hair. It's like, got it in the other room. It's like metal. It's the one that Galadriel wore in The Hobbit. It's like this metal strands that go around here. And she'd been mashing them into my skull. And they'd all tangled around and bits of my hair were coming out. And absolutely brutal. A member of staff came running out, grabbed my dog who was in a pushchair because he was elderly, <laughs> rushed Walt inside. Um, Someone grabbed my nephew, who was only two at the most, and rushed him inside as well. Then they grabbed me and rushed me inside. And at this point, my mother is screaming, shouting, punching anyone she can get into contact with. I looked out the window and she's got my auntie's hair wrapped around her fist. And she's just yanking my auntie's head to the ground, like ragging it around. My husband's trying to gently prise her fingers off because she's got arthritis and he didn't want to get in trouble for breaking her fingers. Um, I gave him permission after the fact that if she ever does it again, just uh, <laughs> better a few fingers than my auntie's hair, you know. Um, but yeah, she just went completely wild. The I could not call the police. Somebody had stuffed my phone under the dog's blankets in his pushchair. Uh, so I could not find my phone, but the staff immediately called the police, obviously. And at this point, all of a sudden, my mother just disappears. And I ran outside and I was like, what's going on? Where is she? Um, because I'd actually been locked inside by members of staff because it was me that she was gunning for and they wanted to keep me safe. But once she'd gone and they unlocked the doors, I ran outside and I was like, what is going on? Has she got her keys? And they said, no, she's not got her keys. And I was like, right. 
I'm going for a cigarette. I'm just going for a cigarette. So I went and stood outside the square near the car park having a cigarette. And the next thing I hear is, give me my fudging keys. I'll say fudge. I can get away with that. Give me my fudging keys. All I can think of now is that audio on TikTok. So I've got the manager by the scruff of the neck. I've gone, give me my fudging chips. She sounded exactly like that. And she's screaming this at my auntie. And my aunt just goes, no, like <laughs> just no. So she stands there and she starts going, fudge you, fudge you, like over and over this, this weird sound coming from her. And as she's screaming this, a police van just pulls up behind her and police officers get out and she's still screaming, fudge you, at the top of her lungs. Taps her on the shoulder. She turns around and screams, fudge and arrest me then. Do it. Arrest me. Right in their faces. She's like getting right in there. And she was back in the van and arrested immediately. <laughs> at which point, at which point, my sister, I ran up to my sister. I go, she's just been arrested. And my sister went, you've had our mother arrested. <laughs> Is she I not know? Is she not known for doing this uh, at party functions? Because it's family functions. Bad sorry. <laughs> Normally, like she's got this uh, known behaviour within the family. That's how she can behave. Weirdly enough, normally she is not anywhere near as bad as that. We had to have like a meeting with his because she walked past his boss and yelled in her face, "Who the fudge are you?" At one point, and it was like. So we had to have like a whole meeting. Uh, they they had to have a whole meeting because they had to assess how this situation had happened. Was there anything they could have done differently? And they wanted to know from me, is she known for this kind of thing? And I was like, in private, she <laughs> might do this to just me. In yeah. public, in front of everyone, no, no. Like normally she would hide it. She would have hidden that until they'd got back to the cottage that they were staying at. And then she'd have unleashed on everyone. But for some reason, she decided... It had to be at the actual wedding itself. Like, it just wouldn't have been good enough if it wasn't the actual wedding. Oh, it had to be your big special day. And I wanted yeah. to stop you and applaud you for using the word fudge so much. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking she's going to drop the bomb. <laughs> That's that. my husband's influence. He literally never swears. He's like, he'll say fudge and shit and <laughs> all of this. So uh, he started to rub off on me. <laughs> Oh, well done for that. So, I mean, after your wedding, your eventful wedding day, I guess that's when you cut ties with your mother. Yes. Um, so I didn't want to speak to her anymore. She refused to apologise. The next day she gave apologies such as, I am sorry for how the day ended. Or I am sorry, but I didn't get given enough food. So... <laughs> like just little non-apologies and then she messaged in the family group chat and said I've apologized now to everyone that needs apologizing to and I turned to my husband and I was like has she spoken to you at all nah, nah. <laughs> she did not deem the groom necessary to apologize to um, <laughs> yeah, she was released without charge. I didn't find out until later that if I'd really wanted her charged, I was meant to ring and tell them that I want her charged. Even though I went to the police station on my wedding night 
and did an interview with them, I would still have had to have pushed them the next day. Um, so yeah, pro tip out there, if anyone is dealing with an assault, make sure you, you, you hound the police or they won't do anything. And hopefully um, has, has the wedding of, you know, Roxy's So after that, I, I didn't really speak to her much. Um, I couldn't cut her off completely because she was the caregiver for my grandmother, um, who was ill with terminal cancer and, like just another little tidbit of how awful my mother was um at one point she had screamed about my grandmother because my grandmother wouldn't do something that she wanted her to do she wouldn't sit in a certain way or eat her meals at a certain time so she yelled not in front of a thank christ in front of me and my auntie she yelled i don't give a shit if she is dying of cancer lovely so at this point, she obviously is very actively dying of cancer. In fact, she was doing her damnedest to try and do it a bit quicker. <laughs> she wanted to be gone at this point. She was like, I'm done. Um, but it was it was still a few good few months after the wedding before she did eventually pass away. And then it was just before my grandmother's funeral um, that the next big thing happened. Here is a word from today's sponsor, Aura. If you Google someone, you can find out all kinds of personal information about them. This information is accessible because of data brokers who profit by selling your information to robocallers, telemarketers, spammers. You can use my link, https dot dot forward slash forward slash aura dot com. Aura is A-U-R-A forward slash Sean Atwood, S-H-A-U-N-A-T-T Wood to try two weeks for free and see how many data brokers are sharing your info also linked in my description box on this youtube version or scan the qr code on the screen aura also monitors your emails and passwords to see if they were involved in a data breach and exposed on the dark web and gives you the recommendations on what to do aura has almost every internet safety tool you'll ever need all inside one app so obviously eventually my grandmother passed away um and we were uh, we were sitting and watching a documentary and our dog walter rang the doorbell we've got like little bells by the door and he rang the doorbell meaning that he wanted to go out for a walk and we were like oh fine there's only like half an hour left of the documentary but we'll just take him now and then he'll be settled for the night and we went out he was quite elderly at that point so we'd only walk him down to the corner and then back which was maybe eight minutes maximum like for the whole walk but it was all he could really manage at that point for a single walk so as we were walking back um i was say i was saying to my husband okay when we go to the funeral We'll try and sit as far away from her as possible, obviously. Um, criminal identifier spray, one pocket, because it's like, it's these legal sprays that you can get in the UK. You're not allowed any form of pepper spray, but you are allowed a criminal identifier spray, which is like a thick red goo. So get it in her eyes. It'll blind her if she tries to attack me. <laughs> um, that in one pack pocket. Voice recorder in the other pocket. If she starts to say shit, if she starts to say things, um, immediately turn the voice recorder on and I'll have evidence of anything that she says. Um, we were talking about all of this and I had my head turned towards him. 
and there was just this impact I hadn't seen anything come in there was just an impact and I could hear him shouting and he was screaming fudging shit some, something along those lines and he does not swear so I'm wondering what what's happened why is he swearing whilst I'm spinning through the air I can see a car driving away from me I can feel my teeth rattling in my jaw all of my organs my brain smacking back and forward I can feel the impact but it was kind of a weird disconnect it was kind of like when you cut your hand on a piece of paper just a small paper cut and it takes a couple seconds for you to realize oh that hurt so I'm feeling that the sensations of the impact but for the time being it's devoid from the pain now of course everything is jumbled up in my memory um I hit the floor in my memory I remember getting up and starting to run away because my brain was screaming at me to run 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 and it wasn't until I watched the footage back that I realized I'd never made it to my feet but I had made it onto my knees I'd got up onto my knees and my husband had pushed me back down onto the ground he'd grabbed the dog he'd been missed by inches I'd actually smacked into my husband he'd yanked the dog's lead back um thankfully he wasn't hurt by a little bit of soreness around his neck but that was all and I'm just laying there and I was aware I knew I'd been hit by a car I knew what had happened and people are telling me you've been hit by a car, but I knew, I knew that that was what had happened. And it was right opposite a rugby club and people are running over to me and they're getting me anything I need. They're trying to get me like blankets to cover me up They're on 999 calling an ambulance. Somebody retrieved my shoes from their front garden, like two gardens down during the impact. My shoes had just flown off into this person's garden. And a man had jumped into a taxi. He'd run down the road, jumped into a taxi and said, followed that car because she hadn't stopped. The driver had made no attempt to stop or slow down. Um, what we didn't know is that she had actually mounted the pavement. And because obviously I was on the pavement, she had mounted it completely. But it was actually a raised section of the pavement where there's like one of those raised curbs to try and keep people safe. And she'd scraped the underside of a car along it. And in the footage, you can just see sparks shooting off. And I did not know what was going on. Um, at this point, I didn't know whether it was a man or a woman. And then somebody said, they've got the driver. They've got the driver. They've got her. And that's when I realized it was a woman. And I was told very quickly, yeah, she's drunk. Um, she's going to be arrested. She's being arrested. And I'm still waiting for an ambulance. And I'm still waiting for an ambulance. I was in so much pain. I was screaming and begging people to just let me die. And there were moments where I would just lose consciousness and just float out of consciousness. And it took two hours. I, I, I got really confused when I made the video on TikTok, but it took two hours for the ambulance to get to me and then we were waiting for somewhere around another two hours after that before I was actually taken away and, and the whole time, time sorry at the time of your at the of the incident did you know the extent of your injuries I didn't know we didn't know whether anything was damaged internally we didn't know whether anything was broken 
there was an intense searing pain down most of my left side, but particularly sort of my left buttock, thigh, and then my calf was in, it was like it was on fire. And I just kept gripping to my husband's hand and saying, I love you, because I thought I was going to be dead within a few minutes. <laughs> um, it was horrendous. And then eventually they did um, get me into the ambulance. They got me away. They got me into hospital. I had scans and things done. I couldn't eat or drink um, anything overnight. And the next morning they tried to get me to roll over so that I could sit up a little bit better. And that's when they said, oh, okay, stop. Okay. And I looked back, <laughs> still wish I hadn't done this. I looked behind me and I said, what? And just saw my calf torn open. Um, it turned out that as I had flipped through the air, I had landed, my calf had landed straight on um, one of those sort of brick bollards that you have on the sides of gates. And they have those concrete caps that are pointed. And I'd landed straight on that with enough force that I had actually shifted it. I'd moved the concrete um, and it had just torn my leg open, thankfully stopping just in front of the muscle. So it tore all the flesh, all the fat, um, anything that was in there was torn open right down to the muscle. And it took 14 stitches, I believe, somewhere around 14 stitches to put that back together it was a mess and I, I nearly fainted I, I remember the sound I made and it was somewhere along the lines of oh something like that when I saw the inside of my leg I was like I should, should not be seeing the inside of my leg right now and they, they, hadn't recognized, they hadn't recognized that injury when you were initially took into hospital no um nobody you, saw it. it as well did you not um, see? So I, my left side was in so much pain that everything was like agonizing yeah. and I kept saying how much things hurt. And every time they moved me, there was just this stinging pain in my calf, but no one checked it. <laughs> oh. No one looked until I rolled over the next day and it was just open. Um, quite nasty. It was filled, like there was bits of gravel in it before they cleaned it off as well. And it was like, yeah, that explains why that hurt. <laughs> um, yeah. So the the only other thing they found in the hospital was um, in my pouch of Douglas, um, which is like a little pouch that you have near your uterus. Um, it was it had fluid in it and they didn't know where that fluid had come from. Um, but I had at some point, most likely from the impact of the car, um, I had like urinated but there was quite a bit of blood down my thighs as well um I I was a few days off the end of a period though and I had one of those thick because I, I use reusable pads so I had one of the thick reusable pads on just in case that night you know anything else had come out and thank god I had had that on because obviously it soaked everything up and stopped it from me just sitting in a pool of my own urine and blood for eight hours um, and said I was sat on a mat of my own urine and blood, but it was slightly more pleasant than being in a pool of it, you know. And was there a reason why the ambulance took so long to come to the scene? I'm, 
not 100% sure. When the ambulance did eventually get there, the paramedics said that they had been able to come to me a little bit earlier, but they had been told not to and to go to a different um, incident instead. And they weren't happy with this. They were very annoyed with this. And someone said, I think they're going to complain about that. Um, at the time, I had way too much to think about to like, consider it obviously later it was like that is not okay but then now the worst part is that actually considering now in 2023 two hours after a serious incident not that bad not that bad for an ambulance nowadays and that is just shocking terrifying yeah so when did you come to learn the details of what actually happened and were there any witnesses so the next morning I found out that she had had a passenger in the car and I found out from the people who had stopped her car essentially that she had got out of the car and shouted I'm with the police which I didn't really put any weight to um she was very drunk um I did a quick like Facebook search on her I didn't know the passenger though but I did a quick Facebook search on her and it seemed unlikely that she personally was police. Um, I was able to debunk that within a few days. But it started to become suspicious when I asked if they were going to get the CCTV. I had to call them. By the time I had made it out of hospital the next morning, they had already released her under investigation, but they had sent the case off. They had closed it, shut it. She was just going to be done for drink driving leaving the scene of the incident and driving otherwise in accordance with a license because she did not have a full license. She only had a provisional. And I'd said to them, are you going to go and get the CCTV? When are you going to get that? And they said, there is no CCTV. They had been told no less than seven times, between seven and 10 times the night before by multiple people I heard this, my husband heard this, everyone there heard this. The rugby club has full CCTV coverage of what happened. They've got the full footage. And I was able to get the footage. I think it was either that day or the next day, but I was very quickly able to get the footage. And I knew the footage existed because I had been told, you did a flip, um, which I actually kind of wanted to see because that, that would have been quite impressive. They told me that they didn't, that there was no CCTV. And I, insisted that there was and they sort of brushed it off they were like well we might get that at some point eventually um in due course was i think the phrasing that they always like to use um which means when we can be asked um just in due course um and i asked if they would charge her for serious injury by dangerous driving and they said no because she is uh, because you are not injured enough and because dangerous driving has to be sustained over a period of time. Now, since then, I've got exactly the passages that I can quote, although I don't know them off by heart, but essentially um, there are sections of the Road Traffic Act that quite clearly state that serious injury must amount to grievous bodily harm, which means breaking of the skin. It does not have to be serious, it does not have to uh, severe, it does not have to be permanent, it just has to amount to breaking of the skin. So that is what would come under serious injury by dangerous driving. A torn calf would certainly do that. As for it has to be a sustained period of time, 
There are multiple examples of acts of dangerous driving, such as mounting pavements, um, aggressively overtaking, um, various things like that that are quick, sudden actions that are punishable in court as dangerous driving. So why I was told this, I do not know. Um, it was very odd, very suspicious. Um, and eventually she went to court for just the drink driving. She went 32 days after the incident took place. She was in court for the drink driving. And she was told that she would get a ban, a fine and some community service. She had been telling anyone and everyone that would listen that she would get a ban and a fine um, repeatedly. Somebody must have clearly told her, you know, you're going to get a ban and a fine because she was really confident about this, repeating it. And that is exactly what happened. Um, so I was obviously really annoyed. Um, and then all of a sudden, after this court case, the police come back and say, we can do it for serious injury now. I was like, it's a bit weird that you're picking now, but okay, I'll take it. Um, it then took at least a year and a half, something like that, for them to actually get like get it over to the CPS and to come back and say the CPS have agreed to charge her. Very quickly, within six months after that, did end up in court. However, it was completely dropped. And it turned out that at her first court appearance for drink driving, they had believed that she would never be charged for serious injury by dangerous driving, although I'm not sure why they believed this or who had said what. They then decided that they would take all factors into consideration. So the CCTV that they had seen on social media, but that hadn't been admitted into evidence for the drink driving, that had never been admitted into evidence, but they decided to take it into account. They took into account my injuries and um, my victim personal statement. They didn't tell me any of this. And they then said that they were going to sentence based on sort of all of those facts considered. So that means you can't ever be charged for serious injury by dangerous driving because you've technically already been convicted because we have took everything into consideration. Obviously, I'm told none of this. I don't know any of this has happened until it eventually reaches court for serious injury. Um, and despite the fact that they supposedly took everything into consideration, she still only got that ban and fine, um, which, again, is a bit odd. So at that point, I obviously um, I waited a few months. I was done with it. But then I posted a story time talking about it on TikTok. And it was at that point that I started to like try and wrap up a couple loose ends, just look into some things that were a bit dodgy and things just started to be uncovered very quickly. Um, I found out that there is a police sergeant who I obviously will not name. Um, we'll call this one Police Sergeant One. Um, so Police Sergeant One had liked a comment made by a friend of the drivers. This comment had been posted on a Wales Online article. And it was a comment that essentially defended her, um, you know, defending her and her character. You don't know that she's not sorry about it. You know, we all make mistakes, things like that. And also said that I should be quiet about it in this comment. Police Sergeant One had liked this. And I was very suspicious because I was like, why? This is odd enough. Like, no. 
um, took a look at his profile on Facebook because I was like, this seems really odd. Do you have any connection? And when I scrolled down, most of his stuff was um, private, but then he had a few older public posts and they were older posts, but still public and very prominent. And one of these posts was um, a post that said, just had my train um, delayed because someone had jumped in front of it. Selfish. You're a police officer and you've got that on your page publicly. Nah. So he I would, be reported. Absolutely. I did. He, he, uh, there is an ongoing complaint into that right now. Um, I made sure that I included that in my complaint because I don't care how old that post is. It is public and you are a police officer. You are the first person who is called when somebody wants to end their lives. And you're going to go into it with that attitude. Like, no. So obviously this was like shocking to me. And I was like, okay. One moment. Sorry. <laughs> so obviously this was shocking to me. And I thought, right, I need to look into some other things. And I then found out about Police Sergeant 2. Police Sergeant 2 is a friend of everyone who was there so the night that this driver hit me she had been at a garden party and everyone who was there bar her is friends with the same man this police sergeant too and his wife has been best friends for the last 40 years like they describe themselves as sisters with a woman who is rumored to have been the passenger which immediately throws everything into question because when you couple that with I'm with the police, there's the, no, that and everything else. I then went to some old articles that I didn't know existed about her serious injury court case. Now, I didn't know that these articles existed. I'd never seen them, but I stumbled across them whilst I was looking up all these names. And it turned out that when the police had originally sent off the serious injury by dangerous driving case to the CPS, they had done so with no medical evidence attached <laughs> for a serious injury case, no medical evidence. And at this point, I was like, right, no, none of this is right. So um, I put in a complaint with the IOPC. I started to document the entire process so that people understand that not only it, it's not independent, it is police officers dealing with it. They will look at your complaint. The complaint goes straight back to them. The IOPC themselves may never look at your complaint unless it has seriously, on a large scale, undermined public opinions towards the police. The IOPC won't even look at it. Usually it will just be signed off by the police themselves, although it won't be the exact same officers, it will be the police. And even worse, the second that you complain about a specific police officer by name, two emails will be pinged off. One will go to a person who is dealing with your complaint. They will be told that you have complained and why you have complained. But another email will also be sent off to the police officer that you have complained about, and he will be given your name and the subject of your complaint. So if you are, for example, walking down the street and you, you hear an officer say something and report him, or if you see an officer say something on Facebook and you report that, 
you're not on his radar until you complain. Then you will, that he will be told immediately, which is corruption by policy. I wanted to actually throw a question in there that I, I didn't on the previous interview is, right, through all this, you've been hit by a drink driver, the evidence is disappearing, you believe there's corruption in the force and they all, everyone knows everyone. What are your thoughts on it being Maso- Freemasonic? I haven't really thought about that. <laughs> I haven't thought about that, but I don't think I've come across anything that would hint towards that. Um, I None of their names seem to bring up anything about that. Um, they all just seem to be buddies. Um, it's more about protecting each other. Um, and do you think that's why they didn't get the CCTV um, from the from the incident because they knew it would yeah. implement someone they knew? I, I think that's exactly what it is. And this is the thing that when I first went into this, I was pretty convinced it was just incompetence. They were just horrendously, criminally incompetent. And that the fact that she'd shouted, I'm with the police, was just a stupid drunken shout that had absolutely no bearing on it whatsoever. And then I started to learn more that they had handed it in with no evidence that all these people are friends, that one of the officers is even liking a a comment on Facebook that defends her and tells me to be quiet. And it was like... This is odd. And then I started to get comments on my TikTok and some of them were things like, one day someone's going to slap you hard enough that you'll learn to emoji and things like that. People calling me a grass for saying anything bad about the police. And these accounts, it was easy at first to brush them off as just trolls. But trolls don't delete their comments and hide their entire accounts 24 hours after commenting these things. They don't do that. They leave it up to get as many little bites as they can. Instead, these comments were all coming from people who were hiding behind blank profiles and then deleted those profiles and comments as soon as they knew that I'd read those comments if I responded to them, which did not indicate troll to me. That indicates somebody else. Yeah, I will put all of uh, the links to your TikTok in the description box below this video so yeah. people can go have a look themselves. Have you still got all of the videos on there? Yeah, most of them are still up. Um, I briefly lost one of the videos recently, but that went back up quickly. Most likely I will get banned eventually. Um, if I do, um, on my Twitter, which is just um, Roxy Taylor, just R-O-X-X-I-E Taylor, um, you'll probably have to put it into the browser search bar. So twitter.com forward slash because I'm search banned on there because I put a picture of my butt up and they didn't like that. So. They don't like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but, and um, I mean, so in a nutshell, what do you truly believe has happened in, you know, after that incident? At the moment, my strongest guess is that the passenger is the person that it's rumoured to be and that they've literally just protected the driver purely because it might be bad for the passenger's business to be wrapped up in that yeah Yeah. which I won't say what business it is but it's a self-employed business that relies a lot on social media so to be wrapped up in something like this would 
definitely um not be good for business which is why i i, I think like that's the only thing i can think of at the moment um that it's not actually a connection straight down to the driver herself but it's her passenger and it's just they feel that they can get away with this because they do they do get away with this all the time are you going to keep digging until you get the answers yeah yeah I've got a freedom of information request in where I've asked to know the names of all police personnel who have handled the case. Um, I'm asking if Sergeant One was ever involved in the case at all. I have not yet asked if Sergeant Two was involved in the case because I don't want to give them his name yet. I don't want them to give a chance to hide that. But if nothing comes up on any of the FOI things, then I will ask. Um, I need to know the passenger's name more than anything. Um, we have rumours of who we believe it is. People have hinted at who it could be, and it very much clearly seems like that person. But we need to know who that is, and most likely we won't be able to find that out on a Freedom of Information request, although I did get a little bit further information on that today, that it may slim chance be possible under the Freedom of Information request if... I am asking for a justifiable enough reason for that name. If I was just asking out of curiosity or if I was to say, ask, oh, because I want to send her a message and tell her off, like that would not be justifiable. But this may be a slim chance, but I don't think we will find out through that. So we would rely on anybody who knows the passenger, anybody at all, to come forward i mean i would keep their name completely anonymous i probably wouldn't even release the name of the passenger so just putting, i'm just putting it out there do you think it's <laughs> like <your> mum <laughs> wow <laughs> oh my gosh oh my gosh you know what it could have been all right i'm not ruling anything out <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is the thing with the whole podcast we've gone on the, this journey of hearing about obviously your mum's sort of strange behavior to then the teacher essay um and now you you know you get hit by a drunk driver i mean what is life like today weird it's very odd it's oddly quiet right now i mean obviously i have the complaint ongoing and things like that but I I just look after feral cats. I fans online. Um, the OF. Yes, the the OF. I do my uh, OF online, and haven't you got a uh, funny story to how you got into it? Oh God, yeah. So I wanted a takeaway. I wanted a takeaway, and this guy had been messaging me for years saying, "Can I buy photos of your shoes?" And this one night, I was like do I just do it? Like, do I just, do I just do it? And I said to my husband, I was like, we weren't even married yet. This was, so I responded to this a few months before we got married. And then a month after we got married, set up the business officially. Um, but I just turned to him and I was like, I really want a takeaway. Should I do it? And he was like, well, we definitely get a takeaway out of it. And I was like, well, he's offering to send 50 quid, which would definitely cover a Chinese. And he was like, yeah, do it. Do it. <laughs> So we've got Chinese, absolutely delicious. We've got duck pancakes as well. 
um, which I didn't normally go for because they're a lot more expensive. And I was like, no, I'm doing it. Treat yourself. You've shown your feet for 50 pounds. Are you eating Chinese every night now? I shouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> I do eat too many takeaways, definitely. Um, but most of my money at the moment is going on the feral cats who live in the garden, um, which was something I was not expecting. I moved into farmland, so we moved into a little farmhouse. So I probably should have foreseen it. But our, our dog was, he passed away one day after we moved in. And I'd been saying for about a year that I really want a cat. And every time a new one shows up, I, I just say, well, enough's enough all right i know i said i wanted cats i'm just imagining him up there being like have a cat have another cat i hate no stop it <laughs> so i've got at the minute i've got two permanent residents in the garden so their food costs quite a bit um and then i spend the rest of my time um on facebook um uh help admin a facebook group for parents of autistic kids it's where you can come and ask autistic adults questions, any questions that you have. Um, and we do our best to sort of help help people along. And a lot of us have grown up with a lot of trauma. And it's about trying to make sure that these kids aren't growing up with that too, that we can make it better for them. Definitely. It's really positive and it's like you're living in a really, in a really nice, positive environment now. And you see yes. Yes, what would you, um, I've got to ask, what would you say to people who perhaps have an opinion on your OF? Uh, shove it right up there. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, it, it sounds like, you, you, you know, you're selling uh, just your foot pictures and... It's full body, full body, full body, um, full, body full videos, full everything. Um so what I would say is, you know, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. But what I hope to do with my OF is that I am bringing ethical content to the table here. You have got someone who is enthusiastically consenting to everything. You know, I'm doing my best I, i'm going to be soon starting um a few video series on there about um the female body um so you can find that special little button and know how to use it you know things like that um there's going to be educational stuff on there as time goes forward i will be teaching people how to take a more pleasant photo of their sausage that is not over a toilet for the love of God, stop sending us pictures of your sausage hanging over a toilet. We don't want to see that. Um, so like, just, just things on lighting, things like that. And again, consent. Make sure you are getting consent. And ways that, I mean, I, I might do a few threads where it's ways that you can ask for consent so it doesn't, you, you don't feel awkward asking. But you are asking because you need to ask. So, you know, at the end of the day, people out there will buy this. So why not sell it? Do you think fans has given you a chance to regain control of your sex? Sorry, OF. Uh, regain. Do you want to say that sentence again? Yes, sorry. Do <laughs> you think that OF has given you um, a chance to gain control over your sexuality again and you empower you as a woman um, taking back sort of all the trauma that 
you know, now you're in control of how your body is used. Absolutely. A hundred percent. If I want to say no to something, I can just say no. Like I don't have to do anything anymore. If I mean, I haven't, I haven't made this week's content yet and I'm supposed to make it today, but what I'm going to do is put some other stuff up instead. Like I have the freedom to do that. I don't have to be like trapped into, Oh God, I need to do stuff. I, I can say no when I want to. And often I actually don't. I found, I found that I, I think I would trust a man a little bit more if I knew that he would pay for the things that he's accessing. Because I have found personally that I've had two pages. So I've had a free page and a paid page trying to sort of bring traffic from the free over into the paid. But I've got rid of the free now and it's just the paid. Because what I found was that on the free page, you would get a lot of men contacting you asking you for things that you have made clear you are not comfortable doing, hounding you for it, being very rude about it, and treating you very disrespectfully. But on the paid page, everyone's really nice. Like when I was hit by the car and I had to take that time off, I was told time and time again, don't worry about it. We will still be here. You need to look after yourself. That is what's most important. And they stayed. They stayed whilst I could not make new content. They they stayed and they're always really respectful. You get the odd one or two, but 99% of the men that come to me on my paid page are really respectful, really sweet, genuine, lovely people. And I've got to give them credit for that. Like, definitely give them credit. You, you, they get, a, like, men get a lot of hate for, oh, why would you pay for it? Probably because they're decent. Like <laughs> they're that. decent. Yeah. As long no. as you're enjoying it, then it's up to you what you do with your time, isn't it? <laughs> it sounds, yeah, very empowering from you know, where you come from. So kudos to you. And also with your Facebook group, I'll be able to put the link to your Facebook group for autism below, but I won't be able to put your OF. <laughs> I tell, tell you what, I'll have to ask the other admins. So for this bit, we might have to cut this out. I'll have to just quickly ask them first if they're all okay with it. But if no. they are, the um, group that I uh, help admin in, it's Autism Inclusivity on Facebook. Um, we just ask that you please read the rules when you come in. <laughs> um, we're By the time this goes out, we'll probably have just done a big live that um, will have brought about quite a big change to the group um will have clarified on all of our rules because it's a, a whole thing to do with the rules so we we have all sorts of things we have live streams we have access to files all sorts of things so if anyone did want to come over um and you have a child who is autistic please do um it's best to get your information from autistic adults because we've lived it we we really have lived through being autistic in a world that is not built for autistic people and we can help well done positive yeah positive note to finish on today thank you roxy well done put your comments in the um sorry i'll put the link in the description box below this video that's the baby brain going tick tick um By the time this video comes out, I will have a child. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. 
That's why. If so when you're watching this back, yeah. When you're watching this back, congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> Nine months pregnant and still podcasting. Yay! Oh, <laughs> But, well done uh, for changing no. your life around. Well done. Thank you. Well done, um, and yes, I'll put all of Roxy's links in the description box below this video that we can. And thank you again, yes. Victoria, for joining. Thank and you. More of her. I'll put her links in the description box below this video so you can go over and look her up and no abuse, please, into her inbox. <laughs> but, and thank you so much. Yeah, cheers, guys. <laughs> and, uh, I'll see you later. You Bye. Thanks. Thanks.